0: Welcome to the Park City Podcast, a podcast created by Park City Church to discuss who God is and how he is at work in our lives. I'm your host, David Morelli. Welcome back to the Park City Podcast. I'm David Morelli, and as always, I'm joined by my friend, Phil Schomber. Phil, if you could fill a day with whatever you want, what would you do? What would be your, your perfect day?
1: Oh, I don't know. Um, it, I think I mentioned last week that I uh, have a favorite little coffee shop that I like to go to. So it might start off there, enjoying some coffee, maybe doing uh, the Wordle puzzle uh, for the day, uh, reading some, studying some, and then uh, you know some light yard work throughout the day. Not that I'm a huge. Garden or anything like that but it is nice to kind of feel like you're productive but maybe not have to do anything too hard if if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. uh throw in maybe a packer game or some sporting event and then uh, maybe cap it off with uh maybe a marvel movie in the evening something like that i mean you know it's hard to know uh ask me on a different day i might uh, fill it with something different but that that would be a pretty good day
0: yeah it sounds like a good day i uh I enjoy going to coffee shops as well. So that would be uh, a, a nice, I enjoy slow mornings. Uh, so I like, you know, if I got up and then, you know, was able to spend a little bit of time at a coffee shop or even, you know, staying at home, I'll make coffee and, and read or uh, I'll catch up on. I love sports. So I spent a good chunk of my morning, of that morning time reading ESPN and things. Uh, so I like to do that. And then, yeah, I would try to spend as much time outside as possible. Uh, go for a hike with, Um, my wife and our dog, maybe sit outside. We love going to, uh, different breweries where, you know, you can sit outside and enjoy a beer, which is nice. And, um, and then, yeah, probably, uh, dinner at like a favorite restaurant or something like that. Uh, we're both kind of foodies, so, uh, enjoy doing that together as well. But yeah, you're totally right. It depends, depends on the day. Sometimes you, you want a movie or, uh, kind of a, a cozy day in. Uh, especially in some of the winter days that we get around here. So it would just depend, but both of those, uh, those sound like good things. I I'm into uh Wordle as well. Uh, what's, uh, what's your best Wordle score? Have you gotten in a uh, one guess before?
1: I've never done it in one. I, I, there've been a handful of times that I have solved it in two, but never one so that, that, that has eluded me thus far.
0: Yeah, I haven't either. I've done it in two once. Uh, but, but the one, I think my, my problem is I always go for the strategy and, you know, just a little hint for, for all you Wordle people out there. Audio is a great, a great first word cause you knock out four vowels. And so that's usually my strategies. I start with that and then go from there. But this isn't a podcast about Wordle, uh, <laughs> though you and I might be, able to, we might be able to fill <laughs> 30 minutes about that. We probably good. <laughs> they might like it better if we did yeah they would either like it way more or way less so with that we'll we'll get into our conversation uh on romans uh you'll remember if you were listening last week we were talking about romans 7 and how we are freed from bondage to the law and this week we are talking about Chapter 8, and we're going to discuss the role that the Holy Spirit plays in giving us an assurance of our salvation. So, chapter 8 concludes a major section of the book that began in chapter 5, where Paul breaks down some of the implications of our justification. Uh, You'll remember in our discussion on chapter 5 that we talked about some of the specific implications, such as peace with God, access to Him. Uh, but we also introduced the topic of hope, both a present hope and a future hope of what is yet to come. Now, chapter 8 will put a bow on that discussion around hope as we talk about the assurance we have as believers. So Paul begins chapter 8 by stating that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is Paul getting at here at the beginning of this chapter, and what is—or excuse me how does it relate to our discussion over the past couple of weeks?
1: Yeah, so chapters 6 and 7 were uh, something of a detour from Paul's main line of thought. In chapter 5, Paul explained that Jesus served as our representative, and as a result, his death paid the penalty we deserved for sin. As a result of his sacrifice, we have been justified and declared righteous by God. Then Paul felt the need to deal with some possible objections to what he had said thus far. Then, here in chapter 8, he picks up where he left off in chapter 5, though he does allude to some of the things that he said in chapters 6 and 7. Because Christ paid the penalty that we deserve for sin, and we've been declared righteous, as Paul says uh, here in verse 1 of chapter 8, there is now no condemnation for believers. That's the logical conclusion of what Paul has said. We no longer have any reason to fear God's judgment. Uh, In chapter 7, Paul uh, explained that the law couldn't save us because our sinful nature prevented us from fulfilling it. But as Paul says, Christ was able to do what the law couldn't.
0: Yeah, Paul is reinforcing some of the core tenets of the gospel and the implications for believers today. So I mentioned again how this is uh, Romans 5 to Romans 8 is kind of one big section of the book, and we kind of see that because Paul begins this chapter by saying there's no condemnation and it echoes really his statement at the beginning of chapter five, where he starts out saying, therefore we have peace with God as a result of our justification. So we are not condemned by God for our sin because Christ has paid that penalty for us. Instead, we have peace with God. And again, tying back to the conversation in chapter six and seven, we, we are also not condemned by sin or the law because we have been set free from bondage to them again as we discussed because we have died with christ we also died to the law and we died to sin and so now as as paul says in verse 2 of chapter 8 we are set free in christ
1: right so again here at the start of chapter 8 he's sort of summarizing um, uh, his main point thus far and uh, as as believers you know we have Nothing to fear because the penalty for sin has been paid, and as you've said, uh, we're no longer under the dominion of of sin or the law, and as a result, uh, we have hope uh, because we're no longer under God's judgment.
0: Exactly. Well, in the next section, then, in verses 4 to 13, Paul begins discussing how the spirit of life, as he refers to him, helps us to overcome indwelling sin in our lives as believers. How does Paul help his readers to understand that it is the Holy Spirit who helps us overcome sin in our lives?
1: Right. Well, Paul has just said that there is no condemnation for believers. Then at the end of verse 4, he describes believers as those who walk according to the Spirit. Uh, So a distinguishing mark of all believers is that they have the Holy Spirit at work within them. And that's significant for a number of reasons, including the fact, which Paul will get to, uh, that the Holy Spirit is the one who will raise our mortal bodies and thus uh, guarantee eternal life for us. But the Holy Spirit is at work in the day-to-day life of the believer as well, and this is something that Paul emphasizes here in verses 4 to 13. He begins by drawing a contrast between the life of a believer uh, and the non-believer. Specifically in verses 5 to 8, he focuses mainly on the mindset of a non-believer. And as we've already discussed earlier in the podcast, as a result of the fall, all of us naturally turn away from God. We pursue our own interests uh, regardless of God's will. And given that, without the Holy Spirit's work uh, in their lives, unbelievers inevitably have their minds set on their own desires rather than God's. And as a result live lives that are essentially hostile to God, even if that is not how they would see it. So uh, the Holy Spirit, given that natural bent uh, towards sin, is absolutely essential uh, for believers to be able to live the kind of life that God uh, desires for them.
0: Absolutely. And Paul is once again hammering home how we have a new identity because of what? Christ accomplished, just as he was doing in, in, in chapters 6 and 7. Uh, in, he's, he's teaching us about the new identity we have. In verse 9, he says that we are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So as a result of our conversion and justification, we as believers are now indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And because of him, because of the Holy Spirit, we have life even though we died with Christ. Paul explains this further in verse 11, where he says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So it isn't through our own strength that we fight sin in our lives, as we often think that it is. We often think that, okay, Jesus did what he did on the cross, and now it's up to us as individual believers to fight sin under our own strength? Do we want to you know, maybe repay uh, God or we want to show God how worthy we are of the salvation that, that Christ purchased for us? But again, what Paul is going to continue to talk about is it is the the power of the Holy Spirit, again, the same power that rose Christ from the dead that now lives in us and actually, just as you're saying, enables us, though our, our nature is still bent towards sin, uh, enables us to live in line with God's word.
1: Right, and Paul uh, uh, drives that home even further in verse 13 when he says, it is by the Spirit that we are able to put to death the deeds of the body, which uh, in context here, the deeds of the body uh, is a reference to the sin that characterizes the lives of of those who don't have the Spirit. And Paul makes clear uh, that we as believers have an obligation to rid our lives of sin, but it's just as clear That the Holy Spirit is the one who is at work in our lives in such a way that he produces that result within us. Uh, Without that work, um, that just doesn't happen. Uh, And so he's, he's absolutely essential in the life of a believer.
0: Absolutely. Well, in the next section then, verses 14 to 17, Paul now refers to the Holy Spirit as the spirit of adoption. Why is this significant?
1: Well, it's significant because it signifies the nature of the relationship believers now have with God. We were once objects of his wrath, as Paul explained earlier in Romans, but we now experience his fatherly love. Um, and, it, and Paul wants that knowledge to provide us with assurance, which, uh, you know, as, as we talked about at the beginning, is, is perhaps the major theme of uh, this, this particular chapter. Uh, Paul closed verse 13 by saying that those who no longer live according to the flesh uh, because they have the Spirit will live. Uh, What's the basis for that confidence? Well, Paul earlier explained that because we have the Spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead resides within us. Now, Paul provides further assurance by tying the indwelling of the Spirit to a new relationship with God. Uh, As he says in verse 14, All those who are led by the Spirit are children of God. As a result, we have nothing to fear. As God's children, we are his heirs, and he will assuredly give us eternal life with him as our inheritance.
0: Right. This is another beautiful reality of the gospel, that we are now children of God. How do we know that that's actually the case? Well, Paul says in in verse 16 that it's because we have the Holy Spirit who, quote, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And why is this significant? Again, because of what you were just saying. It assures us that there is no condemnation for us. It assures us that, again, God is of a favorable uh, disposition towards us as a result of what Christ did, Uh, you know, and and even though we, we know those things to be true, what are we naturally afraid of? We're afraid that God will all of a sudden you know, t- take away the promises of Christ and, and will now hold us accountable for our sins, right? We fear that, uh, okay, maybe, maybe Christ accomplished uh, everything he did on the cross, but that only wiped the slate clean. Now it's up to me to get myself into heaven. It's up to me to produce you know, our, our, my own righteousness, But that isn't the case. We don't have to fear uh, that those things are true. In fact, Paul's assuring us that they are not. um, And and again, the ultimate assurance and Paul's argument is that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of those things. That because we have him, because we are uh, indwelt with the Holy Spirit, no one can condemn us. Because that signifies we are in Christ. And if we are in Christ, we can't be out of Christ.
1: Right, and uh, the Holy Spirit is the mark of that, But um, and if we were to forget that, the Holy Spirit also um, witnesses to us, testifies to us, reminds us of the fact that we are God's children. Um, And so uh, the purpose of that is to, again, to uh, take away that fear and to reassure us that uh, as Paul will say later, that there is nothing that can separate us from God because he loves us as children. So, um, again, we have nothing to fear because we have the Spirit, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit does um, work to, to remind us of that fact.
0: Well, in verse 17, Paul states that because we are children, we are also heirs of God. And then he says this next phrase. He says, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. What does Paul mean when he says this?
1: Well, you know, we just said that the believer can look forward, uh, forward to eternal life uh, as an inheritance. But because it is an inheritance, we don't yet possess it. Uh, unfortunately, we still live in a fallen world. Uh, as a result, we will inevitably... Uh, still suffer. Uh, And in that respect, we walk the same path Jesus did. As believers, we are followers of Christ, and just as he suffered uh, before being glorified, so we will also suffer before being glorified. Um, And uh, as, as Doug Moo explains it in his commentary on Romans, because we are one with Christ, we are his fellow heirs, assured of being glorified with him. But at the same time, This oneness means that we must follow Christ's own road to glory, suffering with him. So we're united with Christ. uh, We're united with him in in his sufferings, uh, you know, as we experience that. But that also means that we can look forward uh, to being glorified with him. Uh, So as followers of Christ, we follow that path as well.
0: Yeah, it's a tricky verse to... Interpret because I think at first glance it may appear as though our suffering is a quote unquote work uh, that's necessary for us to be saved. It's uh, almost as if you know the Lord would then design it in such a way where you know okay every believer has to suffer uh, in order to be saved. But that's not the case. Again, that if if that were the case, it would be justification by works, as um, Paul has already emphatically argued against that and rather argued for justification by faith uh, in, in Romans 3 and 4. And so really what he's doing here is, is what you were unpacking there. It's it's talking about the order in which we receive our salvation. Uh, in this order, we experience the tension between the already and the not yet, you know, as you were alluding to when we talk about inheritance, that... Uh, the promise of the inheritance is there. That's the already. Uh, we just have not yet fully received it. And that uh, when Paul talks about us being glorified, we don't have a resurrected uh, body. We aren't perfectly with Christ in the new heaven and in the new earth at this point. And so, uh, while we yearn from that, we recognize or yearn for that. Excuse me. Uh, we recognize that we live in a broken world and as I was talking about in the sermon yesterday, we will experience suffering. Uh, And so as we wait for that, we'll experience suffering because of the fact that we live in the broken world, but that's not unique as you were pointing out there. That's exactly the path that Christ followed. And so we have a hope for, for much of the reasons uh, for many of the reasons, excuse me, uh, that I was mentioning yesterday that uh, again, Christ understands those things, uh, and and moreover, God is able to use them in order to conform us into the image of his Son. But again, the promise remains, we will be glorified. And just as you're saying there, we have a hope that then sustains us and and, and helps us to endure.
1: Right. Christ sets the example for us in, in that respect. Um, he endured... Um, you know, persecution, uh, the rejection of his, his own people. Uh, and then on top of all of that, uh, it paid the penalty, you know, for our sin on the cross. Um, uh, and he endured that patiently, uh, waiting and trusting, uh, in his father. Um, and as we do that, again, we follow his example and, um, uh, uh, where you, we're united with him in, in, in that respect. Um, and we uh, look forward to not just those sufferings, but also being glorified with him. And, And again, in this chapter, the emphasis is on that hope that we have, um, even in the midst of our suffering.
0: Right. And actually the very next verse, uh, verse 18 gets at, at that hope. So in this next section, 18 to 30, Uh, Paul is continuing to unpack the theme of adoption and, and again, the consequences of that. What do we receive uh, as a result of that? And and he touches on exactly that, a, a hope of future glory. And so right after verse 17 then comes verse 18, where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. How in the world can Paul say that?
1: Right. Uh, Well, in the section, um, in that larger section, 18 to verse 30, Paul paints a picture of God's future plans for us and his creation. uh, And he does that in order to encourage us. uh, As Paul explains, since the fall, the entire world has been subject to futility. That is, the world no longer works the way that it was intended to. But God is going to change that one day and uh, he intends to restore all of his creation Uh, and as you pointed out in your sermon on sunday uh, god gives us an extended look at that restored creation in the book of revelation uh, particularly chapters 21 and 22 and 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 as sort of a summary revelation 21 verses 3 and 4 says behold the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them and they will be be his people, and God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And the, and and Paul is is uh, pointing to uh, that same uh, reality here in uh, Revelation chapter eight. Uh, not only will the world around us be tranf- transformed, but we too, when we receive our resurrected bodies, will be transformed. Um, and and as, as, as Paul explains that in, in verse 23, uh, Paul wants that reality to sustain us in the midst of our suffering. As believers, we look forward to that day when God will dwell among us and we, along with the rest of creation, will once again reflect his glory.
0: Yeah, what he's not doing here, what Paul is not saying, is that our sufferings are not painful, or, or that we are just to ignore them because hey, don't worry about that. You know, what is coming is so much better. But exactly as you're saying there, it's a it's a reality that ultimately sustains us in the midst of our suffering. It provides for us a hope that helps us to endure. So, uh, he's pointing out exactly as you were saying that what is coming. Uh, when we, when we get a glimpse of what is coming, what it means to be perfectly glorified, to be, uh, with Christ, with the absence of sin and death and every form of suffering, when we actually see, uh, and, 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 and just get a little a glimpse into what that will be like, suffering seems to not be as heavy. Anymore. Not that it right. It doesn't uh, cease to exist, it doesn't uh, stop grieving us or, or paining us in some way, uh, but again, it, it this verse holds up as, as true that it cannot be compared to the glory that will be revealed for us that, again, you pointed out, and, and like I mentioned on Sunday, Revelation 21, that Christ is coming to wipe away every tear, and so our sufferings, though they're painful now, they will not last forever.
1: Right, and and, uh, arguably Paul knows just how (laughs) painful our sufferings are, and that's exactly why he wants us to understand this truth of what God uh, ultimately has planned for us. Again, he wants us to um, have something that we can uh, turn our attention to away from our suffering, Um, and uh, again, there's no... (laughs) Uh, greater picture than that future that that Paul could point us to 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 encourage us,
0: yeah, and then he continues on and he talks about you know how how could this hope possibly be sustained uh he talks about the hope that we have for our coming glorification in verses twenty four and twenty five and uh again, I think any of us who have experienced suffering uh we understand the challenge that it is to continue to have hope. Uh, that's a, a daily, hourly uh, you know, struggle in some of those darkest uh, moments. And, and what Paul kind of unpacks for us is that our hope is sustained by a patience, uh, which John Calvin in his commentary describes as, he describes patience as an inseparable companion to faith. The Lord produces in us a patience uh, and a faith to endure amidst the, the worst suffering that we might experience as we await our coming glorification. And this would again harken back to Romans 5, when we talked about what does hope produce? You know, character and perseverance and, 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 and suffering. And, and uh, uh, I think it's verses 3 to 5 that, that Paul talks about those things. And so we can rejoice in our sufferings because of the fruits that they produce, because of what the Lord is. Is able to produce and again we know all of these things are coming true because of the significance of verses 28 to 30.
1: right paul wants us to both uh, see and feel the inevitability of our future glorification uh verses 28 and 30 through 30 uh works through the links of what some have referred to as an unbreakable chain that moves from God's plan in eternity past past to our calling and justification and ultimately to our future glorification. What Paul wants us to understand is that uh, this hope that we have is utterly secure. Um, Those, you know, if, if if you're in this this category of believer, uh, it's inevitable that uh, God called you. Uh, he brought you to, to faith in Christ through calling you. Uh, he he justified you, and uh, if all those things have happened, he most certainly will uh, glorify you as well. So it, there's this this link that he goes from one step to one step to one step, and there's no gap in those. So it's from beginning to end, God will surely uh, bring it about.
0: Right, exactly. And because those promises, again, are rooted in the promise of God doing that work, again, he is uh, ultimately able to be trusted and and he will remain faithful. Uh, And so again, there's that additional level of assurance there. So Paul then concludes the chapter by giving us a great reminder of God's love for us in verses 38 to 39. So how do these verses encourage us?
1: Right. Well, as we've uh, sort of uh, been talking about here for a little bit, a- assurance is the uh, overarching message that Paul is kind of hitting on here uh, in this chapter. And, and Paul brings it to a close with a summary of why the believer Uh, sort of can rest secure in what Christ has done for them. Because because Christ died to pay the penalty for sin, we now have peace with God. More than that, as Paul has just explained, we are now God's children. And if that's true, God is most certainly for us. And as he says in verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul then goes on to spell out why we should have supreme confidence in God's love for us. God was willing to send his own son as a sacrifice to save us from our sin. If he was willing to do that, what wouldn't he do for us? Or as Paul says in verse 32, how will he not graciously give us all things? And if all of that is true, if God has declared us righteous, there is no one who can step in and reverse That declaration and condemn us. That means our new relationship with God is eternally secure. There is nothing that could ever separate us from God's love. And that means we can be assured that everything He has promised will come to pass, come to pass just as He said.
0: Yeah, these these words encourage us that we are firmly secure in our standing as children of God. Uh, and again, he there's, there's so many beautiful promises in this section. Again, you mentioned a few of them that God is for us, uh, that God justifies us, that we will never be condemned because of that justification. And and, and even you know deeper than that, in, in verse thirty four, Paul talks about because Christ intercedes for us, we know it, it's an additional level of security because we have an advocate right now in heaven, uh, interceding on our behalf, one who is for us that, again, assures us of God's disposition towards us, a disposition of, of love, of favor. Um, but even in that, you know, uh, even in this great discourse on, you know, how great is God's love uh, for his children, Paul mentions we're not exempt from suffering in, in verse 35 and, and 36. And Uh, obviously, you know, even as the the theme of assurance has been prevalent throughout this section, suffering is as well. Uh, And and so just as we were talking about that, we have a hope that sustains us, a hope that endures, that says this is not how it will always be. and, And one day it will be no more. And so even, you know, those final closing verses, nothing can separate us from God's love. Even the worst uh, that this world has to offer. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of our Father in heaven.
1: Right. Paul closes the chapter as almost saying no matter how you look at it, no matter what objection you might raise, um, nothing changes the, the circumstances that God loves us. Uh, our debt is paid. And uh, he has a plan to restore us along with his creation. There's nothing, uh, there's there's nothing, no one uh, that that can change that. Um, and it's, it's it's as if Paul tries to say that in as many ways as he can to again close out that uh, section to just emphasize just how sure our hope is.
0: Yeah, he does, and it again is is one of my favorite passages of scripture to come back to in in all seasons of life, um, because again, to to be able to meditate and reflect on those words, uh, again, you you understand the challenges of, of faith. Uh, of course, believing that on any given day is not easy, uh, and we we ebb and flow in our in our belief in that. But uh, again, the beauty of this passage is that assurance that says we are in Christ. Uh, And again, nothing can separate us from that. And that is good news. Well, we'll pause the discussion here for today. Uh, Phil, as always, thank you so much for all of your thoughts and wisdom. Next week, we are going to look at both chapters 9 and 10 as we talk about God's relationship with Israel and Jesus as the climax of salvation history. So please join us next week for that discussion. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Park City Podcast. We hope this resource helps you to see and savor God's goodness, beauty, and grace in your life. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.parkcitychurch.net. Once again, thanks for listening.